everyone, welcome to another episode of Hollywood's Haunted, the podcast, where we talk about haunted, creepy, messed up stuff that happens sometimes in Hollywood, most of the time, or adjacent. Um, today we have Roxana, Woo! Hello! And me, Tia, the one who's always here. <laughs> and um, so today's topic, we have um, avoided this topic long enough um, because uh, this person is a total piece of shit. And uh, I in no way, this is, this is a precursor. This is the introduction warning. Uh, I in no way am glorifying or bringing attention or praising this person. Uh, I am in no way idolizing him. I in no way find anything that he did romantic whatsoever. Um, he was racist. He was uh, evil in the sense of not cool evil, like actual evil, not like, not like cool hocus pocus Halloween time, you know. Not evil. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, yeah, no, uh, no, um, Eartha Kit songs here. <laughs> okay. Uh, that is, uh, yes. So we are talking about the very disgusting, horrible Charles Manson. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I will be talking about the equally, equally, well, not equal. I was just <laughs> less than, I'm not going to say her stuff was equal to what Charles Manson did. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm talking about one of his followers who doesn't really get talked about a lot, um, Lynette Frome or Frome, uh, who is known as Squeaky. Yeah, Squeaky Frome, Fromey. It is Fromey. That's how she pronounces it. So that's probably how it how it is said. Um, which she is would, uh, <laughs> what's that? She would know. Yes, uh, probably the only thing she knows. Um, <laughs> pretty horrified by this person. Um, uh, I within the past 24 hours, I've watched several interviews from Lynette Frome, Fromey and Charles Manson and um, Susan Adkins and oh God, what's the other girl's name? Um, who was there? The other chick that was in the fuck the, the thing. Oh, uh, um, oh. Uh, Van Houten, Leslie Van Houten. Um, and, uh, watched several interviews with all of them. And, um, can I just say that Lynette Fromm is the, even though she wasn't involved in any murders, um, so they say, <laughs> um, she is probably the worst. So, but that's, that's just me. Okay. Well, um, you should go first. <laughs> yeah. Cause, uh, we'll kind of, I'll, I'll get into it. I won't, um, I won't talk about what you'll talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Because he did, oh, so much more. The research just made me so angry, so yeah. angry at what he did. Uh, yeah. Also in, in the middle of the Dahmer series on Netflix, which also does not romanticize him at all and really focuses on the damage these kinds of people do to the communities that their victims come from. Oh, yeah. And, it's so upsetting because these people 
could have been stopped much earlier, but our system is skewed differently for white males than for everybody else. And that's why these things are allowed to go on for as long as they did. I mean, it's ridiculous. So Charles Manson was screwed before he was born, like never had a chance. Yeah. He was actually born no name Maddox. So we're off to a great start, okay? Giving you an idea of the kind of environment he was born into. Didn't even bother to try to give him a name. Why was that? Because he was born to a child prostitute. Yay, I hate our system. <laughs> so uh, this was back on November 12th of 1934. His mother was Kathleen Maddox. Uh, she was a 16-year-old prostitute, so a child prostitute. Mm. Um, and the last name Manson has nothing to do with his biological father. Um, Kathleen says that the biological father uh, was named Colonel Scott. No, not because he was an actual colonel. It was just his name. Mm. But he was known to let people believe what they wanted. He wouldn't exactly correct them. So he let them believe that he was an actual Colonel, uh, Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr. And here he is paying for money to have sex with a kid. So you already know what kind of person he is. He was also a bit of a con artist as well. So he is said to be Charles Manson's biological father Kathleen uh takes him to court for uh support child support but he pretty much bails on that immediately and it's like oh I've been called back to the army and then disappears he dies in 1954 and not once during that time did he ever acknowledge his son uh Kathleen gets married uh, and takes on the, the last name of the, the man that she married, which happened to be Manson. And she was still pretty young when this happened. But of course, you know, at that time, you kind of did need a man uh, in order to survive. We're talking about the 1930s, 1940s. Uh, so she marries, but the problem is she's still very young. She's, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old, and she wants to go out and have fun. So she's going out with her brothers and they're drinking sprees and just having fun. And uh, little Charlie is getting left with a whole bunch of babysitters. Uh, her husband, uh, William Manson, went ahead and divorced her uh, over quote unquote, gross neglect of duty. So they divorce just a couple years after they got married. And this means that now Charles is kind of just being neglected because his mom is still going out uh, drinking because she's not an adult. <laughs> she's still a kid. She yeah. was doing exactly, not exactly, but what college kids are doing now, going out drinking, having fun, mm -hmm. not ready to raise a small child. Unfortunately, that this means that she's not there to really raise uh, little Charlie Manson. He's remain he keeps the his stepdad's last name but again nothing uh 
blood related between them. Then in 1939, Kathleen and her brother uh, <laughs> were arrested for robbing a West Virginia gas station, and both of them were sentenced to five years in prison. And little Charlie gets shipped off to one of Kathleen's sister and her very abusive husband. Uh, so then this is actually kind of messed up. It doesn't excuse Charles Manson's behavior, um, but it may explain how he kind of came to be. So the problem was um, his uncle uh, was constantly berating the boy, calling him sissy, and at one point dressing him up in girls' clothing and then sending him off to his first day of school because he wanted Manson to, quote unquote, act like a, act like a man. Uh, so he was not a very kind person and was already messing with little Charlie's mind. Mm -hmm. uh, finally, Maddox was paroled and she was able to go back to her son in Charles claims that this was kind of like the happiest time of his life, uh, being back with his mom. But she went back to her old antics, uh, you know, bringing home uh, lovers, uh, leaving him alone or with neighbors. She'd disappear for weeks on end um, to, to at the point where after a while, they would have to track down where did the boy go, which relatives uh, was he with. And there was uh, one time where allegedly she gave Charles to a barmaid as a payment for a pitcher of beer. Mm. Yes. So he's growing up feeling neglected. Uh, he's been verbally abused by this, the one male figure in his life. Uh, no stability, and believe it or not, he turns to crime. Who would have thought, right? Uh, and this means that he was, now we're getting to a period of his life where I'm not even go into the nitty gritty details because he's basically going in and out of juvenile homes, uh, committing small crimes, uh, you know, allegedly trying to set a school on fire. That is what he said. And then he would go to like, you know, a, a place called like Boys Town and, you know, to help rehabilitate him. But he would do something like try to escape, steal a car, and then he would get sent to a, a higher uh, security level facility. And uh, he claims that in some of these facilities uh, that he was beaten and raped by fellow inmates. Uh, one time he says that one of the guards encouraged uh, his fellow inmates to beat him and rape him while the guard watched and pleasured himself. Uh, then he, Manson himself was found to have uh, raped one of his uh, inmates, um, fellow inmates, while holding him at knife point. So the violence has begun early. And this is kind of important for the end because of what his followers were claiming. Mm. Um, so then after that, he gets sent to a higher uh, security level place because now he is considered dangerous. Uh, <laughs> while he's there, uh, logging eight major disciplinary infractions, including three homosexual assaults basically 
he ended up raping three more of his fellow inmates. And this was all by 1952. Um, then all of a sudden he does this big turnaround. Uh, have you ever seen the movie A Clockwork Orange? Yes. And I'm yeah. So. Okay. so the part when the uh, the lead realizes, oh, hey, if I pretend I'm reformed, then I, I might be able to get out or get into oh, that yeah. new program. That's kind of what Charles Manson did. He kind of did a big 180, becoming a model prisoner, and he was released in May of 1954. And was he reformed? Absolutely not. He kept doing exactly what he was doing before, uh, stealing cars, transporting uh, stolen cars between state lines. Uh, but he was getting away with slaps on the wrist, with uh, probation, but it wasn't stopping him. He was still going from state to state, violating his probation, um, committing crimes, didn't seem like he was going to be stopping, never did. Uh, and then finally, he was jailed in 1959 because he was forging and cashing stolen U.S. Treasury checks. Uh, then got probation again for that. Okay, we've got a list of crimes, probation violations going from state to state, still nothing. And then he starts pimping out 16-year-olds and transporting them across state lines. And so he was arrested for that in 1960 um, and was there for, for a bit. He was finally there for about seven years. They tested his IQ. It was 121. So he wasn't below average, but he is not a Mensa genius. Um, he said at the time that his religion was Scientology, uh, and then in March twenty or March twenty first of nineteen sixty seven, he was paroled, and he ended up uh, going to San Francisco. So this is the mid nineteen sixty seven Haight Ashbury, free love movement, LSD, all over the place. Uh, the summer of love. So he goes there, and he kind of begins getting a following. Uh, what he would do is he was finding the social rejects, so to speak, people that were on the fringes of society and mostly women, mm -hmm. uh, having them do LSD. And he was very good at manipulating their mind and getting a group of people to start following him. And again, they were mostly women that were following, but you did, he did have men following him as well. Uh, but he was also very manipulative because uh, he would get them to do group LSD, uh, not parties, but they would, uh, trips, I guess, group LSD trips. But he was always making sure that he was doing a lower dose than the rest of the family that's what they were called so that he could make sure that he kept things under control and it was really really more of a trying to control all of these others other people mm -hmm. um and that's really what his goal was he even admitted he wanted to create these empty vessels that he could fill up and have them do whatever he wanted them to do and yes he he was racist as well one of the things he was uh 
convinced of is that there was going to be the apocalypse. There was, and it was going to be a race riot that he believed the, he called them an offensive word, but the blacks in America were finally going to rise up and take down all of the white people. And he, he mm -hmm. felt that all the white people were just too weak to defend themselves so that the black people would clear out all of the weak white people and it would be leaving Manson and whoever was in his families as the ones to rule because he did not believe that the black people were smart enough to lead themselves. And so that they would then look to him as their savior and him and his family would then become the, the leaders of this new world. Just gonna let that sink in a bit, okay? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, uh, they started to travel down to Los Angeles and uh, that's when some murders begin to happen. And along the way, they're they're meeting up with people from the Church of Satan, um, the Process Church of Final Judgment. Uh, they worship Satan, Lucifer, and Jehovah, all of them, uh, and you know some other uh, shady folks and groups and associations. Yeah. Uh, I would say fringe beliefs. Exactly, fringe know. beliefs. Um, and Manson also wanted to be a musician. Mm. People that have looked into him uh, talk about his connections uh, with the Beach Boys and, and yeah. that, you know, he hung out with them. He had wrote a song. He was trying to get himself an agent, but things just weren't passing out. Uh, things just weren't happening for him. Uh, the Beach Boys did do one of his songs uh but they changed the name of it and they did not credit him and i'm don't want to give i don't personally want to give any of the stuff that manson did i don't want to acknowledge it that's what i'm trying to say yeah i don't agree with what he did i don't think he yeah. was a very good person uh it's no, don't. Who cares about what music he did? Who cares yeah. about what he wrote? Like, find the song online. It's not important. You find yeah. it yourself. I'm not going to give credit to it. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, it is it. fucked up that they didn't credit him for the work that he did. Oh, absolutely. Like, that's fucked up. But yeah. yeah, no, you can find the song online. You can find it. And it was, um, <laughs> yeah, if you dig deep enough, it's out there. You can find it. Yeah. And also, Manson did do some of his own stuff. But again, who cares? Like, I'm not interested in it. I think yeah. uh, he was such a terrible person. Like, like Hitler's paintings. Who cares? Yeah. We, right? had, we had one at our museum yes. that I worked at. And it was so awkward to talk about. Like, how do you talk about that without being like, like glorifying? Like, that's why, like, I avoided this episode so much, you know. Okay. Not going to uh, glorify this because I'm now going to get into the murders. Oh, yeah. People. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we did talk about it a little bit when I talked about the Kenneth Anger episode that we talked mm -hmm. about him, which ties into the first murder a little bit with, um, because uh, Bobby Boussoulet was in one of Kenneth Anger's movies, uh, which we also talked about at the museum. But anyways, sorry, I'm jumping. Oh, oh, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, 
So in 1968, two women, uh, they were found near, oh, I hope I pronounce this right, Ukiah, California. Both were beaten and strangled to death, but the way that that happened is super effed up. So yeah. the first one, Nancy Warren, was pregnant and she was the wife of a highway patrol officer. Uh, the other woman uh, was Warren's 64-year-old grandmother. Uh, both of them uh, were murdered with uh, 36 leather thongs that had been wrapped around their throats. Jeez. Uh, exactly. And the there were members, two members of the Manson family that were in that area at the time. And again, because of the ritualistic natures and like I said, their previous association with some of these fringe belief groups, um, it was believed that they had done this. And on December 30th, uh, Marina Hab 17 went missing um, right outside of her West Hollywood home. And two, and two days after that, her body was found. She had multiple stab wounds in the neck and chest. Uh, they found out that she had been hanging out with some of the Manson family members. And they believed that her death was a result of that. Mm. Um, on May 27th of 1969, 64-year-old Darwin Scott, who was Manson's alleged biological father's uh, brother, uh, so his uncle, they found him hacked to death in his apartment and he was pinned to the floor with a long butcher knife. Um, on July 17th of 1969, uh, Mark Waltz, who was 16 years at the time, he was hitchhiking from Santa Monica, or no, from Chatsworth to Santa Monica. He wanted to go to the pier and fish, uh, but he never made it there. They found his body the next morning in Topanga Canyon. Uh, he had been shot three times and it looked like he had been run over by a car. 16, 16 years old. Um, they found out that he, Waltz, frequented the Manson commune at the Spawn Movie Ranch. So again, if you are familiar with Charles Manson, you're familiar with the Spawn movie ranch and how the family kind of took it, took over that area uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, which is kind of uh, about uh, this event mm. through the eyes of one of Sharon Tate's neighbors, so to speak. So, and they go into just a little bit uh, of visiting Spawn Ranch. Uh, one of the characters goes there and you kind of see uh, the Manson family, some of the people that we've already mentioned uh, are represented in that that scene as well. So if you're interested in that, check it out. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, though, remember, is a fairy tale. So if you're familiar yeah. with the murders and you haven't seen the movie, do it. Do it for yourself, you know. Yeah. It's um anyways, so um Waltz was hanging around Spawn Movie Ranch and they kind of believe that he ended up dead because he uh, 
his brother had publicly accused Manson of murder, but nothing was ever done about it. Mm. We're also kind of seeing a, a small pattern of revenge that if somebody pisses someone off, whether it's Charles Manson or one of the family, that they kind of end up dead. Mm -hmm. uh, around the same time that Waltz died, they found a corpse that they were never able to identify. Uh, and it was about northeast of Spawn Ranch. Now, at the same time, Susan Scott, who had become a member of the Manson family, uh, ended up disappearing and has never been heard from again. The family, or not the family, but the um, they believe just based on the clothing from the Jane Doe that they found that she possibly was Susan Scott. But there was, again, at that time, no way to positively identify that it was her so again mm -hmm. they're not just attacking people outside of the family it seems like now they're they're also murdering their own maybe if you disagree maybe if you want to go to the authorities um so it's a very it's not communal you know you follow the rules or you die um then we get the infamous summer happened between July 27th and August 26th. Uh, that's when they killed uh, the nine people here in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, then we get to the infamous summer of 1969. So between July 27th and August 26th, uh, the Manson family killed nine people, at least, that they have been... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, convicted... <laughs> That's what I was looking for. Uh, so the first was Gary Hinman, who was a musician. Now they believe that it was a drug deal gone sour. Mm. But there was also political uh, graffiti. Uh, basically, again, trying to skew it as if this was black on white violence. Um, one of the things that Charles Manson was said to uh, about inciting the race riot was, again, getting people to think that Black people were rising up against white people and that they were committing these murders. Hmm. And that was trying to show uh, how to do it, how Black people could kill these white people, these prominent white people, and kind of make them afraid. Uh, and, and they would do things like leave, it's so racist, leave watermelon rinds, uh, in the sink so that, you know, the police would thought, oh, of course it was black people because they were eating yeah. water because that's yeah. how racist they were. Uh, and a lot of the graffiti, you know, again, had a racist connotations kind of geared towards, you know, anti-whiteness and, and calling white yeah. people pigs and that kind of thing. Um, so. Uh, after that, August 9th, and I think this is the incident that a lot of people are most familiar with. I think this is kind of the incident that really shocked the United States at that time, the world, really, because it was just so, I mean, all of these murders are horrible and terrible, but who it happened to, because she was such a prominent figure in pop culture 
having something this horrible done to her, I think really shook people because it's like no one's safe. Uh, you think these people are, you know, in their own fairy tale and nope, even evil, low down evil can still get to them. So on August 9th, that is when the Manson family went to the home of a movie director, Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski. He wasn't there at the time, but his wife, Sharon Tate, was. She was pregnant. And she had four other people with her. Abigail Folger, Jay Sebring, Wojtek Frykowski, and Stephen Parent. Um, again, these details are online. We're not going to kind of go into that gruesomeness because we still have your part of the podcast yeah. to go yeah. through. Uh, there have just been documentaries and everything that have happened. So they have those murders. Uh, Sharon Tate uh, was killed. No, they did not cut the fetus from her body. Uh, the fetus was still intact and, yeah. and, and died because the mother uh, had died as well. Uh, it's just absolutely terrible what happened. Uh, then the very next night, that's when they go and they killed uh, the couple Lino and Rosemary LaBianca in their home. And these killings that they did were all very, you know, they're wealthy, prominent individuals. Uh, so of course the country was very shook. The yeah. Money can't, can't save you. Yeah. Uh, they went to the authorities, the police went to Spa Ranch. They arrested Charles Manson uh, not not for any murders or anything. It was on drug charges. But 10 days later, he's back out. And uh, they ended up, he allegedly uh, ended up directing his family to kill movie stuntman Donald Shorty Shea uh, because he believed that he knew too much and um, that he was the one that was talking to the police about what was happening over in Spa Ranch. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, he still didn't get arrested for any of those crimes. It was a petty crime. So on September 18th, 19th, uh, 1969, uh, the family had uh, burned a piece of road grading equipment because it was in the way of their desert dune buggy routes. And so the arson investigation was able to tra uh, trace it all the way back to Manson and Spawn Ranch. And that is what got him arrested. So this happens on October 12th. He gets arrested. And um, then Susan Atkins, uh, she got arrested up in Ontario, California. And she started blabbing about the Tate and LaBianca murders to her cellmates. So then after that, that is when they went ahead and um, started all the indictments yeah. and started that investigation. The irony in that is that Susan Adkins later on, I don't remember if she's still alive or not. Um, I think she might be, but um, she later on claimed that she didn't murder anyone. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even though she was the one to talk the most about it, um, 
And now she claims that that was all a lie and that she didn't actually murder anyone, that it was Tex who did all of the murdering um, and everything. Uh, you know, um, she does appear to be remorseful though. Um, I will give her that. Um, as opposed to the person I'm going to talk about, but whatever. Anyways. <laughs> uh, so even though Manson is in custody, the murders are still going on without him. Mm -hmm. Getting murdered, of course, are being associated with maybe having talked to the police or, or helping the police out. Uh, another person that ended up dying on November 5th, uh, the family member John Hot, also known as Zero, he was found a shot, and they said it was because he was playing Russian roulette. Mm. Uh -huh. uh, then they found another body that could not be identified, another Jane Doe. They believe it was Sherry Cooper, and the body was found uh, near where Marina Habes' body had been dumped. And uh, then um, Scientologist James Sharp and Doreen Galt, both of them were found dead in the Los Angeles alley. They had been stabbed more than 50 times. Uh, they learned that Gall had been Bruce Davis's girlfriend, who was a family member who had been convicted of first degree murder. Jeez. So now it's just revenge killings uh, happening um yeah and this one like you couldn't run from him uh he went after joel joel pew p-u-g-h uh who was the husband of uh, masonite sandra good uh joel flew to london in 1968 he was with bruce davis uh they we're going to be selling some stuff and getting in touch with the satanic uh, fringe groups out there in Britain. Davis returned back to the United States in 1969, but uh, Pew, he stayed back and his body was later found in a hotel room on December 1st. His throat had been slit with razor blades and apparently there was uh, writing on the wall in his blood. It was backwards writing and I guess, quote unquote, comic book drawings on the mirror. They ruled it a suicide. No. Right? Because after you slit your throat, you totally have- God in the blood. To, Which is what was some something they did with the Sharon Tate, LaBianca murders. They drew and wrote things in their blood. Yeah, so uh, Manson was charged with uh, seven of the Tate-LaBianca murders and three of the women, Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, and Leslie Van Houten, uh, they went to trial in 1970. On November 19th, uh, attorney Ronald Hughes, he disappeared because uh, he was supposed to come in for to court and he never showed up. And then they're like, oh, he's gone missing. And yeah, I, I just found out about that today, actually doing yeah. research. And I was like coming across all of these 
extra murders, you know, I think a lot of people think that it's just the Tate LaBianca no, murders. All of these different yeah, ones. Yeah. And there's a lot more. And I knew there were more, but I didn't know about the attorney disappearing until today, you know, and like <laughs> Charles Manson had basically said, I never want to see you in this court again to him as he walked out of the court. And like, I don't know, like for people who think Charles Manson is God, which is definitely what they thought, like that's, they're gonna, I mean, that was basically them just fulfilling his wishes, you know, right there. Because one of the things that was happening is that all of his family members were trying to testify saying that Charles Manson had nothing to do with the murder, Mm -hmm. that he didn't order them, he never said uh, to go kill them. But there was a problem because one of the family members who had to go into hiding, Linda Cassabian, uh, she was one of the witnesses during the trial. And she was the one uh, that told them what happened during the Tate murders on August 8th and 9th. Uh, She was outside the house. And she also uh, said that Charles Manson ordered the... uh, the murders of uh, the people the next night. Uh, So already we have evidence that he was ordering these murders. And he already said he wanted his followers to be empty vessels that could be filled up and he could tell them what to do. So he didn't want them to be making these decisions on his own, something like that, that wants that much control over people is not going to be like, oh yeah, do whatever you want. No. Yeah. It, it seems like those that didn't want to follow ended up dead. Yes. So everybody is saying, um, you know, oh, he had nothing to do with the murders. And one of the things that also pissed off Manson, uh, which is why they believe he uh, he killed the attorney. Uh, so one of the reasons why they had uh, Ronald Hughes killed was because Hughes said that it wasn't going to be a good idea to have Leslie Van Houten take the stand and say that Manson had nothing to do with the murders. It wasn't going to be good for his client. Uh-huh. And bam, he ends up dead. Uh, and let's see who else ended up dying. So he ends up dying. Um, yeah. They find his decomposing body in Sepsi Creek about five months later. And that was around the time that Manson finally got his death sentence. So at the time, California still had the death sentence, but that changes. And oh, does that change some other stuff? Um, Okay, then we have the death of James Willett who was a 26-year-old hitchhiker, and this was on November 8th of 1972. He had been shot with a shotgun and decapitated and had been buried in a very shallow grave in California, uh, Greneville, California. Then they found his car was outside a house in Stockton, and inside they arrested two members of the Aryan Brotherhood, with three of the Manson family women. Yay! And they found uh, Willett's wife, Lauren, buried in the basement. 
they said, oh, well, we were just playing Russian roulette and she died. There's that Russian roulette thing. Yes. Yeah. And why was her husband though found, you know, decomposing? Um, so they're still killing people. All of this is still happening. Then we have Charles Tex Watson was convicted and he got the death sentence uh, for the Tate LaBianca murders in 1971. Uh, they also uh, went ahead and tried Mary Brunner uh, because she tried to steal 140 weapons from a gun shop because she was going to try to break Manson out of jail. But that didn't happen. They ended up in a shootout with the police. Uh, Brunner was then convicted uh, and she was uh, sentenced and convicted for the participation in the Hinman murder. Mm. Uh, again, now we're just getting into, again, all of those nitty gritties of the family members all being convicted for these different murders and everything happening. Uh, now, meanwhile, the law in California changes to where we no longer have the death penalty penalty. We no longer have the death penalty. Yeah. And that means that Charles Manson, is, who was supposed to be sentenced to death in 1971, instead the sentencing changes so that he has life in prison with the possibility of parole. Mm. Yes. But yeah. thankfully, uh <laughs> He keeps getting denied. Yeah. So every time he goes to get paroled, uh, he gets denied to the point where towards the end, uh, he doesn't even bother showing up to his parole hearings because nothing is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, while he's still in, uh, in custody, he's still getting into his usual stuff causing trouble, starting fights. He has a falling out with the Aryan Brotherhood, who was kind of his, his protection in jail. Uh, so then they end up getting into tiffs. And by tiffs, I mean sexual assault, uh, getting beat up. He got poisoned at one point in time. Uh, he went ahead and ended up killing one of the AB tormentors in Folsom. Well, not himself, but doing what he usually does, getting somebody else. Uh, to go ahead and kill them. Mm. Uh, and even though it hasn't been proven that he did it, Mason does take Mason, Manson does take credit uh, for those murders. So whether or not he actually did it, very possible that he did it, or it could have been another drug deal gone wrong with somebody else. Because, you know, you can get stabbed by a lot of people in prison, apparently. So I'm told. Uh, Tex Watson uh, claimed to have found God while he was in prison, and he ended up having his own little ministry uh, with some of his own disciples. So I just knew, in a way, just passing the torch. Um, <laughs> everybody else believes to have, you know, grown a little bit, except for, of course, the person you're talking about. Uh, and one of the reasons, though, they say he never was able to get his parole was of course he was still committing crimes still getting into fights still associating you know with drug trafficking was because he had a history of controlling behavior no duh 
uh, mental health issues, obviously. Yeah. Uh, they believed he had schizophrenia, paranoid delusional disorder, uh, and that he, if he was released, he would be a, a danger. He was a dangerous person. Uh, they, they said that he had received 108 rules violation reports, no indication of remorse, no insight to the causative factors of the crimes, uh, didn't understand the magnitude of the crimes, and he had an exceptional callous disregard for human suffering, and he had no plans for if he were to ever be paroled. Uh, then I guess nature has its way of writing things. Uh, 2017, Charles Manson ends up dying from colon cancer. So I guess mother nature ended up doing the death sentence for him anyway. Yeah. And colon cancer is not a pleasant way to go at all. Yeah. Not saying anybody deserves it, but if, if, you know, someone were to deserve it, yeah. Charles Manson who caused so much pain and suffering and has shown, showed no remorse, uh, you know, okay, I'm not too sad that that happened. Yeah. Uh, and he was, uh, I had a Bible lit teacher that had the opportunity, the opportunity. I had a, a chance to talk to him while he was incarcerated. And he's like, the man does truly believe he is the second coming of Christ yeah. and is here to save these people. So very much a delusional unstable human being yeah and so yes that's charles manson i tried to keep it as succinct as possible there are so many different details so oh, many yeah. of the family members that you can go off into the details of those murders from that night it's just a a bucket of worms so yeah. i definitely want to revisit the topic and go into more of the family members individually because in researching this um i had to watch a lot of their interviews and you know i found them much more fascinating than charles manson charles manson's just a fucking piece of shit bullshitter you know exactly like he was he was he wasn't doing it himself but he was getting all these other people to to do his dirty yeah. work yeah yeah and it's because, well, and here's something else though. I don't, again, I don't want to agree mm -hmm. with Charles Manson, but he did mention something uh, that, that makes sense. So <laughs> he wanted to testify. Everybody was like, no, that's not a great idea, but he really wanted to talk. So they're like, okay, well, we'll have the, the jury not be here for this so that you can go ahead and and testify uh and he states these children that come at you with knives they are your children you taught them i didn't teach them i just tried to help them stand up most people most of the people at the ranch that you call the family were just people that you didn't want i think manson had a way more to do with teaching them what to do do then he's admitting here but he is right but the reason why he was able to get these people is because our society had cast them to the side they yeah. didn't want them they felt uh alone and he capitalized on that and really 
abused his the trust that he created with them. Uh, he also said uh, that I know I know this that in your hearts and your souls you are as much responsible for the oh Vietnam War as I am for killing these people. I can't judge any of you. I have no malice against you and no ribbons for you. But I think that it is high time that you all start looking at yourselves and judging the lie that you live in. Uh, and he says, uh, my father is the jailhouse. My father is your system. I am only what you made me. I am only a reflection of you. You want to kill me? Ha, I'm already dead. Have been all my life. I've spent 23 years in tombs that you have built. So that's his commentary on his early life about going from one institution to another institution, pretty much starting off life with no direction, uh, he was a product of the system. Does it justify his behavior? No, but does it explain it? Yes, and he does have a point that if the system wasn't so broken and so messed up, this probably wouldn't have been allowed to happen. Yeah. But it is what it is. And, and he should still be responsible for his action. He oh yeah, like he's acting. He yeah. can't be. Could have created a community with these people of positivity. Mutual- respect yeah and gave him a community but instead he also wanted to use these people by making them slaves to his way of thinking yeah uh if yeah i mean if you found this interesting if you find cults as interesting as i do we did an episode on the source family uh way back when and that is very much a cult but in my opinion, it is one of the more positive cults, you know, uh, where there was abuse, but not to the extent of what can happen. Yes. Like yes. there was like underage girls that the the uh, Jacoba, Jacoba or whatever was sleeping with underage girls that were in his harem of whatever, you know, and they were having sex rituals or whatever. But that was pretty much the extent of it. There was no murder. There was no like fucking like mass suicide or anything like that. And like when it got out of his hands, the leader chose to commit suicide and take himself out of it, which unfortunately left his followers lost. Yeah. And, but they gave them the opportunity to no longer have to be uh directed they could make decisions on their own yeah. you know so you're very right he could have done something in a positive way and um i think that's very telling if you look at that story which happened around the exact same time like it, it they they were living like in a house down the street from like sharon tate uh, <laughs> that that cult was, but th- th- there were a lot of them. There were a lot of these communes at the time, you know. And were Manson ever to be released, he would be extremely dangerous and extremely powerful. We had people come to the museum in in order to pay respects to Charles Manson because we had his his ashes oh, there. Some of his quote unquote artwork that he did. It was interesting. Yeah. Again, don't feel comfortable glorifying it because yeah. of, this is not one of those things where 
oh, he was a, a fantastic writer. And then you find out they're a piece of shit, but you're like, oh, but his artwork was so amazing that you can separate the artist from mm. the work. This is like, no, he was a crappy person who was a mediocre artist. And I'm not going to yeah. get, he, even if he had never killed anybody or anything, you wouldn't give a shit about what you created because it wasn't that good. It was mediocre. It would have gone into the ether. So the only reason it's significant is because it's been tied to such a horrible person who did person. Yeah. Uh, it was very disturbing doing research. I had to listen to this particular interview of Squeaky from from recently. And the two people from, I guess, this radio station that were interviewing them, I won't say who they are because I found their interview to be very disgusting and appalling. Uh, how much they appreciated Squeaky Frome, Lynette Frome, 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 um, and how much they like, they said that she had this positive outlook and like she was misunderstood and this and that. And it was very disgusting. It was, I was horrified because even though she didn't commit murders, she still played a part and is responsible for the part that she played and has no remorse and you know just because we don't talk about it doesn't mean it didn't happen yeah. you know and that's a big big thing with this whole case is that they don't talk about the racism they don't talk about these other murders you know they talk about it like it's this one case and it was like three of his followers doing this one thing and uh like the amount of denial that Lynette Frome, Frome has was just so disgusting. And the people who fucking agree with her, the people who gave her a platform was, you know, not a platform in a way of being, you know, there was a big difference between there was an interview from a psychiatrist interviewing her letting her speak and like kind of just doing it as a perspective yeah. as opposed to these other two people from this radio station that were giving her a platform and agreeing with her in you know you can say oh that's interesting that you have a perspective like that and not be like oh yeah you're right you know there's a big difference between that and uh I was I'm just I literally listened to this like an hour ago um, before uh, we started and um, it made me very angry. So the emotions yeah. are raw right now. Yeah, um, just going through all of the people that were killed because of this, it's like, yeah. it's very upsetting, very upsetting, yeah. And it's not to be taken lightly, oh. not to be taken like, oh, these were just misguided people, da da da, you know, no, like that's- How these people were murdered. I mean, yeah. the, what the third, how many belts around the woman and her mother? Yeah. 36 leather thongs. Yeah. That's not. I know. How do you do that to a human? Yeah. It's mind boggling. Yeah. So. Well, on that, we should take a break <laughs> uh, and hear from our sponsor. Oh my God, Patrick, do you love my earrings? Oh my God. Well, they're from Spooky Bean Shop on Etsy, and we have a promo code for 10% off. Use Weird Podcast at 
Etsy.com slash shop slash spooky bean shop for 10% off and get yourself a pair of the cute earrings too. Then we can be twins. All right. So I will just get into my person that I am talking about. So I'm talking about Lynette Squeaky Fromey. You might recognize her, played by Dakota Fanning in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You might recognize her from Stephen Sondheim's Assassins. <laughs> um, you might just, you know, be familiar with the name. Um, but she was a lesser known member of the Manson family, but she musical. You gotta well, be honest. Until Stephen Sondheim musical, because to theater nerds, she's probably one of the more well known. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When Stephen Sondheim makes something, you listen. <laughs> That's why um, I knew her before I knew the other names because because of assassins. Um, I only knew about the assassination uh, or the attempted assassination of Gerald Ford, which I'll be talking about. Gerald Ford, is that who I'm talking about? The president that she, whatever, I'll get to it. <laughs> um, you know, uh, because of assassins. I have not seen assassins, but in, in theater class, when I went to community college, they did a scene from assassins and it was disturbing. Um, yeah, uh, so there, there's that. Okay, anyways, uh, in a 2019 televised interview, Frome said about Manson, was I in love with Charlie? Yeah, I still am. Ooh. indeed so she's obviously you know gained perspective and learned her lesson of uh you know uh being part of a cult or whatever um <laughs> still feel like she's still in it <laughs> yeah um so her interviews her initial interviews that i heard from like the 70s um were at least somewhat grounded in someone who believes what they're saying is true and has something to say. The interviews I heard from the 2000s uh, were the most vapid and all over the place contradictory bullshit that I've ever fucking heard besides what's come out of Charles Manson's mouth. Yeah. And, you know, think what you're going to think. I'm probably going to lose some friends over this, but good. <laughs> um, you know, this, there were times where she would say stuff and then in the same sentence, contradict what she said. Like she said at one point, uh, we would wear these things to be ritualistic. You know, we would do these rituals, but it wasn't about rituals. Actually, Charles Manson never did rituals. Like it was stuff all like the time. all the time. Yeah. Um, they showed up in their ritual clothing to court. Yes. <laughs> but, it, but he never did rituals. He, that's not something he did, but she literally said that in like the same sentence and the people who listen to her, you know, it's okay to be spiritual. It's okay to, uh, 
find these other ways of thinking and learn from books that have spiritual ideas and to come up with your own concept of religion or beliefs or spirituality, that's fine. When you start bullshitting, <laughs> when you start talking out your ass about stuff you don't know, and you just go on and on, and then you talk in a circle, like that's when you lose me, you know? And like, I don't, I, I don't care. Like there are, there are other religions out there that, you know, have a, have a base of understanding and a, you know, and then there's just bullshit. Like, I'm just going to talk and I'm just going to, if you keep on talking, you know, eventually someone will think you make sense. Yes. (laughs) You know? but you're not saying anything, you know, you can, if you just keep like, it's like an improv game, you know, like if you just keep on yes, anding, something will happen, but that doesn't mean you should base your life on it. And huh, holy shit, uh, the emotions are raw. So I'm just gonna get into it, <laughs> it's fine. Um, so anyways, Lynette Froming was born on October 22nd of 1948 in Santa Monica, California. She was the daughter of Helen and William Miller Fromey, an aeronautical engineer. Uh, As a child, Fromey, Lynette, performed in a popular dance group called Westchester Lariats, which began touring the United States and Europe in the late 1950s and had appearances on the Lawrence Welk Show and at the White House. So, okay, you know, her, her family, knowing the area that they were from uh, and lived, which if you want the exact address <laughs> of where her family lived, I actually have it, which I'll, we'll say later on. Uh, they lived at 6511 West 82nd Street, Los Angeles, California. Uh, it'll make sense when I get to the end. Um, that's a very nice area of LA probably still was in the 1950s, you know, so she, she, her family was like, okay, but they maybe had conservative beliefs, you know, and being a teenager in the fifties and sixties, you know, couldn't have been easy. So I'll, I'll give her that, um, much, you know? Uh, so in 1963, the family moved to Redondo beach and Frome began using alcohol and drugs, you know, what you do as a teenager Uh, and, uh, her grades dropped at Redondo, Redondo union high school. Uh, she did graduate in 1966 and she moved out of her parents' house for a few months before her father uh, convinced her to enroll in El Camino College. She returned home for two months before her father kicked her out following an argument rendering her homeless. So according to Frome, she was kicked out by her father and ended up homeless on the streets. Also, according to Frome, um, they, her parents gave her the opportunity for independence. 
uh, and to be, uh, you know, more independent person. I think so. that's a more diplomatic way of saying they kicked me out though. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. She says in interviews, like there's a lot of that where she'll say one thing and then she'll sugarcoat it, you know, yeah. make it sound like it wasn't what it was, mm-hmm. you know? So, okay. So yeah, they kicked you out and you were looking for guidance. Just be in reality, you know? It wasn't your choice to leave, you know? You didn't have control over that. Yeah. And it's like, if you are choosing to say that you did have control over that, then that gives you some sort of responsibility. But these people want to kind of be on, you know, have their cake and eat it too. Be on both sides. Like I'm- Cake though. What's up? do you do with cake besides eat it I don't know I could I could say a few things but you know (laughs) anyway sit on it I don't know (laughs) yes they should have had their cake and sat on it yeah um, if you're into that Uh, (laughs) but yeah they are kind of a lot like when watching her interviews which very much like mirrored Charles Manson's interviews there's a lot of roundabout talking where, you know, you'll say something and then contradict yourself again, but like somehow neatly tie it up into a little package where it kind of makes sense. And if you weren't really paying attention, you know, you would be like, oh yeah, that's really deep, but you didn't really actually say anything. Um, so anyways, okay. So they there's also a lot of like just being like, oh, I'm responsible enough to be uh, coherent, you know, healthy, mentally healthy person, but also I wasn't responsible for these things that happened, yeah. you know, that you can't have both, you know? So anyways, in 1967, at the age of 19, she dropped out of college. And uh, after she got kicked out, she goes to Venice. And Venice, if you've never been to California, Venice, probably not still to this day, but since till very recently was kind of a place where hippies and, you know, people just kind of hang out and there's a lot of homeless people. There's like a lot of people living this homeless lifestyle. So, you know, a lot of people kind of just end up there and they sleep on the beach and they do drum circles and, um, she ended up over there and she was sitting on the curb. Sometimes it also says she was sitting at a bus stop when Charles Manson uh, gets off of a bus. Um, It also sometimes says that he drove past her, but she runs into Charles Manson and he says, your parents threw you out, didn't they? And at that moment, Lynette squeaky, Lynette decides that Charles Manson is psychic. He knows what I'm thinking. And, uh, you know, Manson walks away, Fromey picks up her belongings and she follows him. So he's hooked her, you know? Um, But how can he be psychic if you chose to leave? Um, (laughs) You know? Um, 
psychic, then you have to admit your parents kicked you out. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But that would be thinking about it too much. Um, So Manson had just been recently released from federal prison. Yep. Uh, 67, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. And she became the second member. So she was one of the very first. She became the second member of what was known as the Manson family. Um, so Frome found Manson's philosophies and attitudes appealing, and the two became best friends and traveled together with other young people, including Mary Bruner and Susan Adkins. Uh, she lived with the Manson family at Spawn Ranch. You kind of mentioned Spawn Ranch a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so Spawn Ranch, it was a Western movie set. So there is a lot of facades of- What's um, a facade? A facade is a fake building. Um, <laughs> there were these fake Western buildings set up that did have indoors areas. So like they were being makeshift, they were makeshift rooms and houses. Um, it was owned by a man named George Spawn. Uh, and he had let people film movies there, but At some point, he was approached by Charles Manson. Charles Manson asked to rent out the facility so his friends, his commune could live there. And George Spawn was totally okay with it. The, a lot of people don't know this part though, that the Manson family would give tours of Spawn Ranch. They would also give horse riding lessons because he had several horses there. So they were actually helping maintain the property. They were also bringing in revenue. So they weren't just squatting there. Uh, it, George Spawn had basically hired them to, they could live there, but they were working his property. Um, and George Spawn also liked, obviously liked hanging out with a bunch of young women because uh, he was in, he was practically blind and in his like sixties. Uh, at the time, did you see? Uh, what's up? Did you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. His yeah, character yeah. in that, yeah. Um. So, uh, the ranch is in Death Valley. It's like forty minutes out of Los Angeles. Is Spawn Ranch. So, um. Uh. Uh, so sorry okay so uh George Spawn was actually the one to give uh Lynette from her nickname of squeaky because that's the sound she made whenever he touched her leg Uh, (laughs) I'm just gonna let that marinate yeah yep that's that's gross um so uh Later in 1969, um, Manson and some of his followers are arrested for the Sharon Tate, Lino, and Rosemary LaBianca murders. Uh, Frome and the remaining Manson family camped outside of the trial. Uh, So her and uh, several other girls uh, would go outside of the courthouse and sing songs and camp out and it was just this media spectacle um obviously they just loved the attention of it and um it was 
is very sad <laughs> to say the least, you know? Yeah. I mean, they were in the actual courtroom until they got disruptive and that's why they got kicked out. Yeah. So. And they'd like camp out sitting down on the sidewalk and, yeah. um, so, okay. So Manson and the fellow defendants, Adkins, Patricia Cranwinkle and Leslie Van Houten carved exes into their foreheads, as did Frome and her compatriots. Um, when asked what it meant, she said it was a cross falling, but it was also an X, which symbolizes, you know, uh, Xing yourself out of, you know, government or whatever. Um, it was all just yeah. Crazy. Anton, he came in with the act and he was like, it's because I've been X'd out. I'm Xing myself out. And then all of his brainwashed followers did the same thing, but he's claiming yeah. that they're not brainwashed and doing whatever he he's yeah. doing. And yeah. they don't do rituals. Exactly. Except for the rituals that they do do, but they don't do them. All the time. Um, <laughs> um, so they, from a... And the girls said that they were innocent, that they were going to be let out soon. Da, 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 they were very sure of it. And um, Frome is not charged with any involvement in the murders. She didn't have any involvement with the murders other than being in the family as far as, you know, evidence goes, um, which also I believe that. I don't believe that she had anything to do with it. Um, so, um Oh yeah, she was held in contempt of court when uh, she refused to testify uh, and she was given a short jail sense, sentence for that. So, okay, cool, there we go. So after all of this, uh, Frome travels to Stockton, California. Um, so uh, in 1972 with Nancy Pittman, Priscilla Cooper and the Aryan Brotherhood member uh, members, um, Michael Monfort and James Craig in order to follow through with Manson's deal with the Brotherhood. This group met James and Lauren Willett at a cabin uh, in November of 1972, which you said, uh, Monfort and Craig forced James Willett to dig his own grave and then shot him because he was going to tell authorities about a series of robberies they had committed after they were released from prison. His body was found with his hands still sticking out of the ground. The housemates were arrested on suspicion of murder, after which Lauren's body was discovered in the basement uh, and she had been shot to death. The Willett's eight-month-old daughter, Heidi, was also found alive in the house. So Frome was released from, for lack of evidence. She basically just drove them where they needed to be, but like wasn't involved. So she doesn't get any jail time for that. Um, so uh, anyways, Frome later told reporters that she had been traveling to California trying to visit brothers in jail and to visit Manson. Uh, so, uh, she said that she came to Stockton on November 10th to visit William Goucher, who was in jail on robbery charge when Lauren died or was killed. Um, <laughs> um, when Frome left the jail after visiting Goucher, she called 
uh, the house of Flora, uh, Flora Street to have someone pick her up and the Stockton police traced the call and arrested her at the phone booth. Uh, the Stockton police exhumed the body of Lauren Willett the following day. Cooper told investigators that she had been shot accidentally, uh, contending that Monford was demonstrating the dangers of firearms playing a form of Russian roulette. Okay, so you already talked about all that and that's what happened. Anyway, so Fermi doesn't go to jail for this. So after leaving Stockton, Frome moves to Sacramento with Sandra Good, who is also a member of the Manson family because they wanted to be near Manson as he had been moved to the Folsom prison. Uh, the two wore robes on occasion and changed their names to symbolize their devotion to Manson's new religion. Uh, Frome became red in honor of her red hair and the California Redwoods, which obviously are very important to her, which you will learn about later on. And Good became blue for her blue eyes and the ocean. Uh, uh, both nicknames were originally given to them by Manson. He was yeah. trying to start something called the Order of the Rainbow, um, which is basically that. He just named everybody color names and they were now the Order of the Rainbow. Um, doesn't get much deeper than that. <laughs> um, yeah. It's so funny. Cause when he speaks, it's like, it makes it, he makes it sound like it's like important. It's this thing. And it's like, it's, it's so stupid. Yeah. Um, anyways. Uh, so around this time in 1973, Fromey started working on an extensive 600 page book about the Manson family, including intricate drawings and photos, uh, other family members contributed to it as well. Um, Fromey sent it to the publishers, but she dropped it after discussing it with Clem Grogan, um, deciding that the project was too incriminating. <laughs> but it did come out um, in 2018. It is published on recycled paper, which is something she cares about those trees, um, you know, not sure if she realizes nowadays though most paper comes from paper farms where they grow the trees specifically for paper exactly. like they're not, they're not, we're not cutting down the rainforest anymore because that's not sustainable or lucrative yeah. um you know not sure if she realizes that but you know recycled paper is good i'm not talking against recycled paper no. at all i'm just being negative because i'm very angry <laughs> right now that's what that's what she's choosing to try to be a good person. Yeah, about, about recycled paper. That's and the book. Like, yeah, the book is ironically titled "Reflection," <laughs> and according to the radio interview uh, I heard, where they talk about this book, it is a positive, uh, positive account of the 1960s and 70s, unlike other people who've written books to make a dime so are they admitting she's writing a book to make a dime um she would not talk about that in the interview actually when they asked her if the book is selling well she basically was like well i don't know anything about that yeah you do yeah you do well you do yeah but i also don't give a shit if her book's selling well or not um yeah. 
I couldn't even make it through an interview with her without being angry and being like, I don't understand what you're fucking talking about. It's yeah, I'm sure this book is convoluted. I, it's probably hard to read because it makes no sense. Yeah. Um, so in 1975, okay, so this is an account that people have claimed have, have happened. However, Lynette Frome says that this did not happen. Uh, so uh 1975 prior to a led zeppelin concert in long beach from a knock on a hotel door of danny goldberg vice president of the band's record label swan song records from a described uh from a was described as uh frantic and with a nervous tick uh mirroring her face asked and she asked to meet a Led Zeppelin guitarist, Jimmy Page, to warn him, claiming to have foreseen the future and wishing to warn Page of imminent evil, which she believed might take place that night at the concert. Uh, Goldberg stated that she could not see Page, which is probably smart, yeah. <laughs> uh, until the following night, to which Fromey responded, tomorrow night will be too late. Um, after long discussion, Goldberg agreed to deliver a message to Page if she wrote it down. Uh, Frome was subsequently escorted away against her will, and the note was ultimately burned and never read, which is such a shame. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so a week later, Goldberg saw Frome on the news. Dun, dun, dun. Ah, okay. So a week later. On the morning of September 5th, 1975, Frome went to Sacramento's Capitol Park uh, to plead with President Gerald Ford about the plight of the California Redwoods. Uh -huh. Dressed in a red robe and armed with a Colt M1 45 caliber semi-automatic pistol. Don't really know if it's M1911, M is that it? I don't know, I don't know guns. Um, <laughs> She had a gun and she's wearing a robe and uh, the pistols magazine was loaded with four rounds, but there was no round in the chamber. Okay. Um, she had gotten rid of that round before heading out. Um, when Frome pointed the gun at Ford, she was immediately restrained uh, by secret service. Okay, so sorry, this is what happens. So there's a big crowd of people and President Ford is like, uh, shaking hands and he's in like a crowd of people which seems extremely unsafe yeah then out of nowhere Lynette Frome is seen in this red robe approaching him and she just pulls a gun right to his head and immediately Secret Service restrains her gets the gun away from her someone in the audience grabs her arm and like holds her uh and she just kept saying, the gun didn't go off. The gun didn't go off. And she she talks about this incident with much love for the person who was holding her, uh, saying that he kept repeating, it's going to be okay. It's okay. It's okay. You know, and he's obviously saying that to get her to calm the fuck down because he doesn't yeah. fucking give yeah. her love. He's not saying that because he gives a shit about you. No. You know, like he's trying to calm you down because you're fucking out of control you know I don't somebody yeah. yeah so um she later told the sacramento Bee that she deliberately ejected the round from her weapon 
uh, before leaving that morning. And the round was eventually found on her bathroom floor. Uh, She refused to cooperate with her own defense during her trial, despite claiming that I was not determining, uh, not determined to kill the guy. She was eventually convicted of attempted assassination of the president and received a life sentence under a 1965 law that made attempted presidential assassination a federal crime because it should be. <laughs> um, time. Can't just can't just start pulling. Don't pull guns in the crowd, let alone at the president. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, um, she told the press that she came to get life, not just my life, but clean air, healthy water, and respect for creatures and creation. In 1979, Frome was transferred out of the Federal Correctional Institution, institution Dublin for attacking a fellow uh, inmate, Juliet Busick, with a hammer. And on December 23rd, 1987, she escaped from federal prison camp Alderson in West Virginia in an attempt to meet Manson who had testicular cancer. So this is when he was dying. She had been in correspondence with Charles Manson this entire time uh, till till he died. She was writing letters and uh, corresponding with him. Um, She was captured two days later and incarcerated at the Federal Medical Center in Carswell in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, Frome continued to profess total allegiance to Manson. And uh, in the book, Helter Skelter, uh, it is written that she and Good were the only members of the Manson family who had not renounced him. Probably because everyone else had maybe grown up and seen some perspective and had remorse. Uh, She has, no remorse whatsoever, but will not answer questions directly about it. She kind of avoids the subject a bit or a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, so uh, she once told the Associated Press, uh, the curtain is going to come down on all of us. And if we don't turn turn everything over to Charlie immediately, it will be too late. So uh, she was uh, first eligible for parole in 2005 and was entitled by federal law to a mandatory hearing after 30 years, but she could waive the hearing and apply for release at a later date. She waived her right to request a hearing and was required by federal law to complete a parole application before one could be considered uh, and granted. She was granted parole in July of 2008, but was not released because of the extra time added to her sentence for the 1987 prison escape. However, she was released on parole from uh, from the Federal Medical Center on August 14th of 2009. She's moved to New York State where she and her boyfriend live in a house decorated with skulls. Oh God, okay. I hope they're not real like they're just fake. Yeah, Um, you know. I mean, I do have a few skulls decorating in here, but I find that kind of off-putting. Um, so interesting thing. Uh, so I watch a YouTube channel called Grim Life Collective, and the guy who runs it is really fucking incredible with some of the 
Hollywood landmarks that he discovers and he takes people to. Mm -hmm. So the episode uh, that he talks about Squeaky From, he takes you to the Squeaky Pole, which is located at 6511 West 82nd Street, Los Angeles, California, where between 1960 and 1963, Lynette Frome lived. And she wrote her name in the concrete at the base of the lamppost when it was installed. And it is still there to this day. So if you want to go see Lynette Frome's signature that she wrote as a child in, the, in this lamppost, it is still there. And it's very creepy that all of the houses have all been replaced, but that is something mm. that is still there. there. And it'll be creepy if it's still there after she passes away. Yeah. She's still alive. So if you're listening to this, um, don't like you. <laughs> I don't know you, but probably won't like you, <laughs> you know? Um, so that is a little bit about Squeaky From, From A. Um, and I think we should definitely do an episode on uh, Leslie Van Houten and Ted oh, yeah. Yeah. and all of them because their individual stories are very interesting. So. Uh, I found that much more interesting than good old Charlie, you know, not saying that you're, what you said wasn't interesting. Like it is just a lot, but, (laughs) but like I said earlier, I've avoided this topic a lot because I don't agree with bringing attention to a monster, uh, especially one that is worshiped as much as he is, you know, um, just yeah huh I wish you heard the interview that I heard and it was just very um made me very sad for life but um anyways we got like four minutes to wrap this up great so I hope you all found that interesting we do have an episode where we talk about Sharon Tate that gets a little bit more into what happened to her uh we do have an episode on Kenneth Anger where we mention a little bit more about Bobby Boussoulet um Charles Manson has been mentioned once or twice on this podcast. We'll probably have to mention him again, but you know, that's just the unfortunate thing of doing um, a Hollywood true crime and paranormal podcast is that. Anyways, um, please stay positive. Don't stab people, don't start cults. Um, Um, and, uh, creep it real everyone. Yep. Do you do